Thank you for listening to the podcast of Bible Baptist Church. Please visit our website at www.southbaybbc.org for more information. Exodus chapter number 17. I'd like to speak tonight on the subject of how to help your family go on to greater victories. How to help your family go on to greater victories. Look with me, if you will, please, at verse number 9 of Exodus 17. We will read down to verse number 15. And Moses said unto Joshua, Choose us out, men, and go out. Fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand on the top of the hill with the rod of God in mine hand. So Joshua did as Moses had said to him and fought with Amalek. And Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up to the top of the hill. And it came to pass when Moses held up his hand that Israel prevailed. And when he let down his hand, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hands were heavy. And they took a stone and put it under him. And he sat thereon. And Aaron and Hur stayed up his hands, the one on the one side and the other on the other side. And his hands were steady unto the going down of the sun. And Joshua discomfited Amalek and his people with the edge of the sword. And the Lord said unto Moses, Write this for a memorial in a book, and rehearse it in the ears of Joshua. For I will utterly put out the remembrance of Amalek from under heaven. And Moses built an altar and called the name of it Jehovah Nisei. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that you'll bless us now during this time. I pray these next minutes will be a help, an encouragement, and a challenge. I pray we'll see some things we can do in our family to help our family be a stronger home, a stronger family, to help our families to be a victorious family, because we are on the winning side. Lord, I pray you'll help me to say that which I ought. I acknowledge publicly again that I need your help. We know in and of ourselves there dwells no good thing. And Lord, I truly believe that this could strengthen people if they'll take these simple principles and apply them to their lives. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. My youngest child's name is Mark. He was good friends with Brother Yap. They were in the same class from first grade forward. First grade, second grade, third grade, fourth grade, fifth grade, all the way through college. And they were the same age. And they're both 29 years of age right now. They got in a lot of trouble, right? If you give me one dollar afterwards, I'll tell you some stories about Brother Yap. Now, Brother Yap, I always liked it when Mark was with him. I appreciate his attitude, and I'm very proud of both he and Brother Kim as they serve the Lord now at this stage of their life. My son said to me one day, he said, Dad, he said, I would like to have a dog. Now, we were a very happy, pet-free home. That's the way I like it. My wife said, someday we stop traveling, we can get a little small house dog. I think I will be in heaven then, all right? <laughs> My son said, son, Dad, we need to have a dog. And I told him what parents say in a situation like that. I said, I'll think about it, which means not in the next 1,000 years, all right? <laughs> and then he asked me again another time. He said, Dad, I really would like to have a dog. And I said, well, I'm thinking about it. But then he did something that was very underhanded, very duplicitous. He inveigled the help of his mother in his crusade. And my mother, and my, his mother, my wife, came to me one day. She said, sweetheart, 
Did you ever have a dog? I was not sharp enough to see where this was going. <laughs> I was uh, not paying total attention, which we learned men not to do that. And I said, yes, I had a dog. She, she said, did you like that dog? I said, oh, it was good. What was the dog's name? Well, he said, a little black dog. We got it for free at the grocery store called Princey. And later on, we had a German Shepherd called King. And she says, were they a good part of your child? Yes. And then her tone of voice changed. Why can't your son have a dog? <laughs> it really wasn't quite like that. But then she laid it on. Now, my son had told me. He said, Dad, if we get a dog, I'll feed the dog. I'll water the dog. I'll pick up after the dog. In our family, we call these the three lies. <laughs> but my wife said, sweetheart, there's this beautiful dog. It's part golden retriever. And someone wants to give it away. Someone in our church. So it was a Christian dog. Now, can I give you some counsel right here? If someone is giving away their dog, there's a reason for that. If it was so awesome, they would keep it. So I caved in. I surrendered. I said, okay, we'll take the dog. The dog's name was Roscoe. It was owned by a policeman. I did not know a Roscoe is the name of an illegal handgun. That should have been a hint. But we get the dog... And it was overall a good dog. But it was a constant challenge to get Mark to feed the dog, water the dog, and pick up after the dog. This dog weighed about 70 pounds. And to say this as kindly as I can, a 70-pound dog leaves larger problems in the backyard. <laughs> you all understand what I'm saying. And my daughters put them through school by teaching music lessons. At our peak, we had 42 kids a week coming to our house for piano lessons, guitar lessons, whatever. If I hear Fertilise or Claire de Lune one more time, I'll probably shoot somebody. But the big issue was they would come in packs, four or five at a time, three siblings together. And while one was getting their lesson, the other two were out in the backyard. We had a swing set and a trampoline. They're out there playing, and their turn, they'd come inside, walk through my library, into the family room, into the living room where the piano was. I did not want them bringing things from the backyard into the house. We all understand that, right? One time my wife and I were out of town and we were getting home. It was on a Saturday. I was preaching in Banning, California. And I said, Mark, we didn't have lessons at our house on Sunday, but the other six days, I said, when you get home, you've got to pick up the backyard. He said, yes, sir. And of course, when a teenager says, yes, sir, that means they remember it for about half a second, you know, that's off their mind. So we get home and I went and got the mail. I'm at the kitchen table. I'm doing the mail and looking through things. And I said, son, go pick up after the dog. He said, yes, sir. Then I heard the strangest sound. I heard a snapping sound. I turn around. My son is putting on surgical gloves to pick up the dog droppings. Well, being a Baptist preacher, that bothered me. I'm thinking, this is a waste of money. When I was a kid, we got a piece of newspaper, a brown paper bag. We called them lunch bags. We didn't have those fancy lunch boxes. We put the drops in the bag and throw it all away. Anybody else do something like that? That's how normal people do it. My son's putting on surgical gloves. And immediately I begin to get into a, we're Christians, a discussion. 
the world would call it argument. Like Christians watch a video, the world watches movies. Christians go to the shore, the world goes to the beach. Oh, you understand. So we have our own lingo. We began to get a discussion, and I was talking, I said, you don't need two gloves, you need one glove. And my wife chimed in, blessed are the peacemakers. She said, it's okay, sweetheart. She either got them at a thrift store, or she got them for free somewhere. They didn't cost me, I didn't care about it. So, I go back to my reading. Out of the corner of my eye, I see my son walking through the family room towards the outside doors. He looked like a doctor going into surgery, like this. And suddenly, this happens with parents. Something in that picture said, there's something wrong here. I said, hello? And when you say hello to a teenager, this is not a greeting. This means, why is your IQ lower than broccoli? <laughs> he said, sir? I said, where's your bag? He said this, why don't you use a bag? I said, son, I want you to work hard, but I want you to work smart. Without a bag, you're going to make multiple trips back and forth to the trash can. And then he said it. I don't use the trash can. <laughs> Pray tell. What do you do with the droppings? He goes, I throw them all over the fence. <laughs> we did not live in the country. We lived in a city, and both houses that bordered our corner house had swimming pools. It started down in my feet. It started to come up through my legs. And I said, what in the world? And he, I remember he said, dad, 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 dad. He goes, do you think I'm stupid? I want to say, oh, it's far beyond that. He said, well, I don't throw them in the neighbor's yard. Thank you, Jesus. He goes, I throw them all out in the street. I said, why would you do that? He goes, well, I was thinking, that's a problem. He said, don't you pay to get the trash cans emptied? I said, well, well, yes, I do. He goes, but the street sweeper goes by once a week and you don't pay for that. So I'm saving you. I don't put it in the trash can. I just throw it in the street. So whatever your child does that's really not too bright, mine has been worse, I promise you. I do not claim to know all the secrets on rearing children. How many of you have a teenager in your home? Anybody have a teenager in your home? Maybe we get together in the corner, have a group hug after the service, okay? But you know what I do know? I do know what we need to do if we want our families to go on to greater victories. And that's what I want to share with you tonight. Four simple thoughts from this passage. And what is great about this, I believe these thoughts or these principles are emulatable. They're, you can copy them. You can do them. Number one, if you want your marriage and you want your family to go on to victory, listen now, you need to set out for the top. You need to set out for the top. That's an uphill journey. I don't have real good knees. 
I played football and did a lot of running for a lot of years. Now I use an elliptical for exercise. It doesn't hurt my knees or my ankles. But I know this. Climbing uphill is harder than going downhill. It's more effort. It's more work. Will you set out for the top for your family? You say, what do you mean, Dr. Rasmussen, setting out for the top? Will you set out to have a family that would have family devotions? And I'm preaching to the choir tonight. You're here on a Sunday night service, and I commend you for that. To be a family where your kids are in church, where your kids go to camp, where your kids go to youth conference. And I know all those things cost money. I challenge you to have your child go to at least one year of Bible college. Amen. At least one year. I don't try to call people to ministry. At the end of one year, they say, I want to do something else. I say, Lord bless you. I pray. I say, I wish you God's best. But one year, there'll be a better father or husband. One year, there'll be a better mother or wife. It'll get them grounded. I believe that with all my heart. But that costs something. I know I paid half the way for my four, three kids to go through college. When Mark finally finished, I said, hallelujah. It's expensive. For two years, I had two in college at the same time. That was like another house payment. They paid half, I paid half. By the way, make them pay. That which cost me nothing I would not have. They need to have skin in the game. Right. I believe that. But we have to set out for the top. Pastor Chapel's office is on the third floor. If I'm not in a huge rush, I try to always take the stairs. You know why? It's good for me. It's harder, and it takes longer to go uphill than it does to go downhill. I enjoy reading biographies and stories of great adventure. And I've read three or four different books about a very famous experience on Mount Everest in May of 2006. Up until two years ago, it was the deadliest day on Mount Everest in history. Two groups tried to summit the same day, and both guides died, and the climbers were up there by themselves. Do you know that Mount Everest is 29,029 feet high? The oxygen level at the top of the world is 25% of what it is at sea level. And so because of that, you have to get acclimated to climb Mount Everest. You had to just go up there one day and say, I'm going to climb it. By the way, if you want to join a group to go up with a guide to Mount Everest, they provide your food, the tents. It costs $80,000 to risk your life. Expensive. So they will get to base camp about 16,000 feet there in Nepal. They start getting ready. They'll go up to Camp 1 and come back down. They'll go up to Camp 2 and come back down. Finally, the time will come when they're going to attempt the summit. They get to Camp 1 and Camp 2 and Camp 3. And finally, they get to Camp 4, the last camp before you go for the top. I always thought you'd probably leave early in the morning. If you think that, you are incorrect. If you try to climb Mount Summit, you leave at 10 p.m. the night before. Because it'll take you 14 hours to climb those last feet to the summit. And there's a drop dead time that if you're not within 30 minutes to the top around noon, you have to turn around. You can be 500 feet away. 
you come back down. Because in the afternoon, the jet streams come up there. 70 to 80 mile per hour can literally blow you off the mountain. So 14 hours to go from Camp 4 to the summit. But listen now, from the summit back to Camp 4, just four hours. It's a lot easier going down than it is going up. And a lot of families are going down. They let the kids watch whatever they want. They let the kids read whatever they want. They let the kids have friends with whoever they want, forgetting that God's Word says that evil companions corrupt good behavior. It's a struggle. It's an uphill journey. But if, if your family is going to go on to victory, you have to set out from the top. One of the greatest books ever written was Pilgrim's Progress by John Bunyan. A man who spent eight years in the Bedford prison because he would not take a license to preach. He told about a man called Pilgrim or Christian who was on the uphill journey to that celestial city whose ruler and builder was God. It wasn't easy going uphill. It was tempting to get off the trail and be distracted this way or that way. He challenged believers, keep facing upward. Keep looking upward. Can I say this? On an uphill journey, if you put your family in neutral, you will slow down, you will stop, and then you'll start going backwards. Keep pushing upward. Striving. Are you willing to set out for the top? What is it that God would want your family? What would God want your family to accomplish? You'll find out if you set out for the top. Don't be a lowest common denominator Christian. Most Christians never reach in their pocket and take out a gospel track and tell someone, here's some good news. It tells you, I can know for sure you're on your way to heaven. Lowest common denominator Christians never invite someone to church. They say, well, that's for Pastor Choi or Pastor Kim or Brother Robbie. But those who are setting out for the top realize that soul winning is every believer's business. In the words of the great Dr. Curtis Hudson, he said this, the only alternative to soul winning is disobedience. Do your neighbors know who your Jesus is? Do your co-workers know who your Jesus is? I visited my daughter in North Carolina in January, and we went to a thrift store to buy something for her. And the pastor's wife worked at that thrift store. And the lady who checked us out, I'll never forget this. It was, it was stunning, Brother Choi. I gave her a gospel track. I said, well, why don't you go to this church? My daughter goes to this church. I said, this is the pastor's wife. The lady said, I didn't know you were a pastor's wife. Wow. She promised to come the next Sunday. I need to find if she came. I said, if you come, I'll give you a CD. I said, I won't be there. Because, see, friends, everybody needs a heavenly home. 
Everyone needs a church home, and everyone needs a Christian home. And everybody ought to know who Jesus is. So first we have to set out from the top. If you want your family to go on to victory, to help your husband, to help your wife to go on to victory, what do we have to do? Number two, we have to set out a stone. Look down, if you will, please, to verse number 12. But Moses' hands were heavy, and they took a stone and put it under him. They took a stone and put it under him. I'm a pretty big guy. I'm six foot six, 200, and none of your business pounds. No, I weigh about 268 pounds. I'm careful what I sit on. I like chairs like this. They're solid. Do you know those little white chairs you buy at Walmart for $5? No moths. No. I was preaching at the Hudson View Baptist Church in New York State. It was a Filipino church. There was no air conditioning. It was hot. And boy, they would just preach. It was a great service, great attitude. They wanted the kids to sing more. We probably had a two-hour nighttime church service. When it was over, I could barely get my tie off. It was so soaking wet through my shirt. But we went down to the basement, and we had a Filipino feast, which is good. Not quite as good as a Korean feast, but it's good. <laughs> Lopia, panset, chicken adobo, Filipino rolls. Oh, it was good. I took my coat off. My shirt was soaking wet. I loosened my tie. I got my plate of food. I saw a white chair, one of those white Walmart chairs. It was nice and cool in the basement. I said, glory to God. I did not know that chair had been around for like five years. Had been sitting outside the sun. The plastic had degraded. I went over and sat in that chair. Began to eat my loopy with that red sweet chili sauce on it. You like that stuff? It'll help you. I'm not, and all of a sudden, one of the legs on that chair exploded. It sounded like a gun going off. The chair went down, and I went down with it. Sprawling on the floor, food everywhere. My wife, she loves me. She ran over. She said, are you okay? I said, I'm okay. And then she started to laugh at me. <laughs> that was encouraging, you know. I'm laying there like Moby Dick on the beach, you know. Not good. Can I say this? Aaron and her went and got a stone for Moses to sit on. They wanted to give him something that would give him real support. My friend was in the police department for 25 years here. You know men who supported you in the police department. They had your back. You know other people who didn't have your back. It's that way in ministry as well. It's also that way in families. You see, to get a stone for Moses to sit on, they didn't go up there with shovels and spades. They probably had a, a rod. I could see him digging around the base of a big rock and digging that hot desert sun and digging and digging and trying to rock it, finally getting it loose and rolling it over to the side of the mountain where Moses could sit on it. It took a lot of work. You know what happens at home sometimes? The wife needs support. The husband needs support. You know what we do? We want to kick over a cardboard box. I'm never going to sit on a cardboard box. 
it's no work to kick over a cardboard box. We need to set out some stones to support our spouse. We need to be there for them when they're tired, when they're sick, when they're going through difficulty. Aaron and her set out a stone. Will you be the kind of spouse who will set out a stone for your family? It takes work. It doesn't just happen. But it's interesting. It says there in this verse that Moses' hands were heavy. And they took a stone and put it under him. And he sat thereon. We can often see what our spouse is weary. How will we lighten their burden? How will we help them? How will we be a blessing to them? First, we have to set out for the top. Secondly, we have to set out a stone. But look a little bit further in that verse. And he sat thereon. And then it says this, and Aaron and her stayed up his hands. Young man there in the aisle, right here in the aisle. Come in, you. What's your name? Abraham. Abraham. How old are you, Abraham? Uh, Twelve. Twelve. Why don't you come up here, Abraham? Abraham looks like he's fairly strong and fairly good shape. Come on up here on the platform, Abraham. I want you to take this little table. I'm going to guess this table weighs about 15 pounds. Not real heavy. Put your arms all the way through it and grab the front legs. All the way through. That's good. Come over here to the edge. And I want you to hold your arms straight out. And I want you to hold it here for just 10 minutes. No, straight up. up. Up there. Hold it up. There we go. Okay, right there. And if you hold it there for 10 minutes, I'm going to give you $20. Isn't that a blessing? Encouraging, isn't it? Okay. So just hold it up. There you go. Good. So I'm going to continue to talk, but you just hold it right there, okay? okay. Don't let that go down. Okay. You want to earn that money, don't you? Yeah. Your mom and your sister want you to take them out for ice cream tonight. And you'd be able to do that. With $20, you can go to Baskin Robbins. No cheap stuff, right? Oh, look, hold it up. Hold it up. There we go. Okay, good, good, good. Uh, Abraham, let me ask you this. Are you starting to feel that a little bit in your shoulders? Yeah. Yeah? Okay. How do you feel? Tired. Tired. Well, good news, you almost have one minute in. <laughs> Just not, oh, hold it up, hold it up, hold it up. Okay. <laughs> Can I tell you this? When you carry the burden by yourself, it gets very hard. For the app, come up here. You, you two young ladies in the end, you come up here. And your sister, come on up here. Come on up here. Yep, you, that's right. You four people, come up here. I want each of you to grab one leg and help hold this up. Each of you grab one leg and hold it up. Two, two on this side, two on that side. Now, Abraham, you think you can hold it for 10 minutes now? Yeah. I do too. <laughs> ladies and gentlemen, Many hands make the burden light. The Bible says two are better than one. I knew my $20 was very safe with Abraham. 
Don't make your spouse carry all the weight by themselves. Help lighten the burden. Lighten the load. Is that your son going wild back there, Robbie? <laughs> so, that was Brother Yap's son going wild back there doing something. All right. He said, my father is gone. I'm free at last, free at last. Thank God Almighty, I'm free at last, right? Yes. But as you see these folks helping here, good things are happening. It's much easier for Abraham because they're working together. I like the statement, teamwork makes the dream work. Teamwork makes the dream work. I encourage you to lighten the load of your spouse. If you do that, you can make it, and victory will be good. Okay, you can put that back over there, Abraham. Thank you, everybody. You did a great job helping me. Brother Yap's got it because Abraham's arm is about ready to give in. Abraham, you come to the table after I'm going to give you a CD. How's that? Okay. All right, good deal. We're going to give him something. Not $20, but I am going to give him a CD. Okay. So if we're going to go on to victory, we must, first of all, set out for the top. Secondly, listen now, we have to set out some stones. Can you be counted on? Unlike the Walmart chair. Unlike a cardboard box. And thirdly, we have to stay up some hands. But Abraham, I'm going to come up here have you come up here one more time? Since I'm giving you a CD, I'm going to make you work for it. When you get close to somebody, you are going to be Moses. So lift your hands up in the air. When his hands were up, the victory is being won. But his hands got tired. So Aaron and her helped hold up his hands. Now, if you get close enough to hold up someone's hands... I can't, I'm close enough to touch Abraham, but I can't hold up his hands from over here. When you hold up someone's hands, you've got to get in close. When I get in close to him, I might have to hold it like this for a while. I might hold it like this for a while. So you've got to hold it up all day. By the way, when you get this close, all of a sudden we realize that Abraham did not use deodorant today. <laughs> Just kidding. I noticed that Abraham's got a little hair growing out of his ear. Wow. Not really. If we get this close, you might see someone's imperfections. By the way, none of us are perfect. None of us are perfect. No, not one. But you have to be close to support someone. So I'm going to hold up his hands. I'm going to have to be right here. I'm going to be here a long time. All day. Be willing to be close. By the way, it was in the desert. Abraham's been sweating. His, hands, his arms are slick. I don't like touching other people's sweat. But you know what? You got to be close. You got to be close to hold up someone's hands. Thank you, Abraham. You did a good job. Give Abraham a hand. How about it? And if we are going to help our spouse, we've got to be close to them. Don't live your own world. She watches TV in her room, I watch TV in my room. That's not good. 
be together. Number four, and we're done. You've listened so well tonight. If we're going to go on to victory, we have to stay till the victory is won. I love the verse, don't grow weary in well-doing, for in due season we will reap if we faint not. Look what it says here. And his hands were steady, verse 12, until the going down of the sun. They didn't say, well, it's time for a lunch break. No, because when his hands were up, Israel was going forward in victory. If his hands started to go down, Israel would start to fall back. You say, why did it happen that way? I don't know. God's word said that's what happened. So we said, we've got to hold his hands up. Can I say the spouses? We need to strengthen one another. Help one another. Hold them up. Hold them up. Hold them up. If we do that, I believe with all of my heart that God is honored and victories can be won. His hands were held up until the going down of the sun. Can I say this? We ought to stay faithful to each other, to God's work, till either the trumpet sounds or till the Lord calls us home. Just stay faithful. It's not easy. It's work. Maybe that's why the songwriter said this. Not to be carried through the skies on flowery beds of ease while others toil to win the prize and sail through bloody seas. Toil. Will you work at the marriage? Will you work at having a good Christian home? Oh, it's easier to just Case Sarah, Sarah, whatever will be, will be. No. Where you sow an emphasis, you reap a harvest. Invest in your marriage. I commend those of you who came to the banquet last night. Invest in your children. Invest in your home. Because where you sow an emphasis, you will reap a harvest. I hope it's your desire that you have a victory in your life. A victory with your family. It won't be easy. I wish there's a pill you could take. This will give you a perfect home and wonderful children. No. Got to work at it. You have to train them. And sometimes they don't listen to the training. You have to train them again. And again and again and again. That's real life. And sometimes, even in marriage, we have disappointments. We have difficult times. A great preacher who's long been in heaven said this, the test of a man's character is what it takes to stop him. Don't let Satan discourage you, but rather, keep on keeping on. Keep on keeping on. I love this song. It will be worth it all when we see Jesus. I can't sing. I wish I could. If I could sing, I'd start singing it right now. I like that song. It will be worth it all when we see Jesus. It'll be worth it to go uphill. It'll be worth it 
to set out stones. It'll be worth it to stay at Pan's. And it'll be worth it. It'll be worth it to stay till the battle's won. Paul said, I have finished my course. He was faithful to the end. Brother Joe Ford was in church a month before he died at 93. Faithful. Faithful. It's required of a steward that a man be found faithful. And parents, there was a song that was popular 40 years ago. It said these words. Will all those who come behind you find you faithful? They're watching you. They're seeing if we're going to keep on keeping on. If we're seeking to be what God would have us to be. The choice is ours. It's a battle. And I close with one illustration I've done tonight. You've listened so well. It was in 1779. The time of the American Revolutionary War. America did not have a navy per se. But we had a captain, a man who had been born illegitimately, who was fighting for America. His name was John Paul Jones. And John Paul Jones had a ship called the Bonham Richard. Poor Richard, named after Poor Richard's Almanac from Benjamin Franklin. They were in a ferocious battle against a British ship called the Serapis. It wasn't looking good. Their ship was taking the worst of it. Suddenly, the captain of the Serapis stopped the fighting and said, Are you ready to surrender? John Paul Jones said, I have not yet begun to fight. And the rest of that story, the British ship surrendered, which was a good thing, because about two hours later, the Bonham Richard slipped beneath the Atlantic Ocean waves. That man who wouldn't quit fighting, named the first admiral of the American Navy, Today, if you go to Annapolis, Maryland, the U.S. Navy Academy, there is a crypt there. And John Paul Jones is buried there in Annapolis. Because he kept going till the battle was won. An American hero who wouldn't quit. We may fall down. Let's rise yet again. Let's get back up. Let's keep on keeping on and seek to walk with God and work for God.